Hi, you're listening to Flourish, the Semper Floriate podcast. This episode is all about ProctorU and all of the wild and wonderful things about being a student at UQ in the year 2020 with all of this crazy lockdown stuff happening. Uh, we had originally planned to record this on three separate audio streams and then put it all together, but unfortunately, one of our files corrupted. So instead, uh, you're going to hear just a straight recording from Zoom. That means that there may be a couple of errors just in terms of people talking over each other and Zoom not picking it up properly. Uh, but all the same, I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, it was really fun to talk about. Uh, one item of note is that because uh, it took us a while to get that Zoom recording, some of the things that we had been talking about have come to pass. So last week, last Monday, there was an academic board meeting, which is a meeting wherein about 100 people come together, most of them staff, and then five students, one of them being me, um, come together to discuss academic things and vote on them. Uh, I put up a motion saying that uh, we should change the ProctorU situation so that students can instead sit exams after they come back to uni. I think I talk about this in the episode. Uh, but uh, that motion has failed. Um, it, at this point, it seems likely that uh, students will have to sit these ProctorU exams. Um, so it f- seemed as though we really should get this out in this week just to sort of talk about everything that's happened uh, and really put that back on the agenda so people know about it. Uh, and so in honour of the fact that this motion has failed, uh, here is an episode about ProctorU and all of the wild and wonderful things about being in lockdown. Hello and welcome to Flourish, the Semper Floriate podcast. Uh, today we are coming to you live talking about coronavirus, not actually coming to you live, we're uh, coming to you post, uh, we're live at the time of recording. Um, we are coming to you talking about coronavirus um, today, uh, you know, as everybody is stuck in lockdown, uh, we are all recording from various different uh, acoustically sound uh, areas uh, in, in Googie and Maddie's cases. Would you like to tell us where that is? <laughs> um, our parents' walk-in wardrobes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I have lost access to my most acoustically sound uh, space, which is the Semper office, uh, and I am now in my living room. Uh, but I am lucky enough to have a uh, very directional microphone, so I'm able to just hear, you, you should only be hearing myself. Um, so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the coronavirus lockdown, uh, all of the things that have come out of that, things like Zoom classes. We've got some uh, talk about ProctorU later in today's episode. Uh, but Googie, uh, I'd like to ask you to give us a little bit of a rundown, just for the sake of posterity, for those people listening in five, ten years' time, exactly what? lockdown is like for a university student at the University of Queensland? Yeah, so um, I guess if you'd miss it before, so today is actually the, the 24th of April. Um, so if we go back, we actually got an email originally from Peter Hoy on the 16th of March. Uh, and this was detailing how essentially due to, uh, I guess, the risk of coronavirus and the spread of coronavirus among UQ students, they were going to cease all teaching for a week uh, in order to get uh, all the course content online. So that was actually six weeks ago, well, almost six weeks ago, uh, if you can believe it. Uh, and since then, uh, all coursework, uh, if possible, has been put online uh, and everyone's kind of been learning uh, by themselves or like remotely um, across the internet. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll ask you guys, um, how is remote learning or like online learning being? I mean, like, mine's been fairly cruisy because I'm just doing my 
honors thesis at the moment so it's fairly like self-guided in that sense um so I just kind of like you know the only real change has been like the one class I have is now online and my my meetings with my supervisor are now online but like all my data collection like my 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 data collection is all done on the internet anyway so fairly easy for me had a fairly lucky transition I suppose right mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm taking two courses. One of them is like a very pretty simple course about like coding. Um, and so it's like very easy to translate that to just online because you're really just going through a couple of examples. Uh, but the other course I was taking was like really working with like microcomputers and like building them from scratch and all of this kind of stuff. So a lot of the lab work was just like doing all of that building. Uh, and then mm. when the lockdown happened, we just weren't able to access them. But we did have like a, um, uh, uh, like a, a, a window where we could go in into uni during that week after they shut down to put everything online uh we were able to just drop in uh there's a big socially distanced queue of like students going in and just like walking in and grabbing stuff off the course coordinators wearing gloves and and you know doing the hand sanitizing um and so, so we got these to, little kits hey yeah so you had to like grab a lot of stuff and bring it home uh, yeah, so we were able to get kits that we haven't started using yet. So in the past like six weeks, we haven't actually used them. But it was the idea was that like later on in the course, there are things that we simply cannot do without knowing. Uh, whereas like the next couple of weeks, we can sort of learn the theory without actually touching kits, etc. Um, so we've been given like a, a microcontroller that that we will need to know how to use. Um, mm. So that was something that was difficult to just put online. Have yeah. you guys been spending a lot of time on Zoom or like other video calling? Um, a little bit of time on Zoom. Like I've, I don't know, I've kind of just been like having little sessions with friends on it as well, aside from like the obvious kind of professional and academic uses. So yeah, kind of. Mm. I haven't had many um, Zoom sessions. The, the one time I have used Zoom for a non-class activity was um, we, I, I compete in debating competitions. So I just like, uh, there was one that was entirely online uh, and it was run from the university of auckland which was pretty interesting um, that's cool yeah, yeah so it's pretty cool to sort of like go somewhere that you've never actually been able to compete in a, a tournament and meet other people from like this weird community that you're a part of yeah uh, so um, so it was a so it was a formal debate on zoom it was a debating competition so like we'd spent two right. days just like you know on there basically yeah. so you'd have a debate every three hours or so uh and then um and and a couple of just like big sessions where we were just chatting with New Zealander people. Awesome. It was cool. Um, and I I found that I've I've spent a lot of time on Zoom. I think I mm. have maybe like eight to nine hours of Zoom, like compulsory classes a week. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So it it hasn't been a, exactly great, or I think you get over it after a certain point. Um, yeah, yeah, and especially like like yeah, we do have a practical one with a. They're meant to teach us like how to do a lot of like physical exams on patients, right. uh, like how to take blood pressures and things like that, uh, or like how to use your stethoscope. Um, but obviously, that's not really possible across Zoom, right? They'll just be like, yeah. "Oh, it's meant to sound like this. Here's like the YouTube video of what it would normally sound like, yeah. and I reckon you'd place it on this place, and like just imagine it." <laughs> Right, and yeah. I don't have a stethoscope. Apparently, we only we were told we only need one like next year. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, 
the other thing I've well, like apart from that, I have also been using like Facebook and video chats a lot, like uh, and like Skype video chats as well, mm. um, which I like rarely have done in the past. But actually, like um, a couple of weeks ago, like um, a bunch of friends just got on and started playing um, board games online. Uh, it was just like having a Facebook, uh, you know, phone call. Yeah, like mm. doing that. So it's like we sort of use like a lot of technology that has been around, but not like used very much. But yeah, for like, like my family usually has a lunch together every Sunday. Uh, oh, that's and nice. We can't, we can't do that anymore. So we just mm. like get on Skype and have a big chat. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, kind of so maintaining, maintaining some normalcy despite the, the situation. Yeah. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. So I guess um, probably one of the, most interesting changes towards how the university, I guess, is uh, educating us over this period is how they're examining people. Uh, and they're doing like this, they're using this program called ProcDU. Um, Rowan, you'd be able mm. to give us a brief summary of, of what that is and any interesting developments in terms of the reactions to it? Yeah, so ProcDU is basically this online exam invigilation software. So if you think about what invigilation looks like in an exam context, usually that is like the old people that sort of turn up and they've come out of some kind of volunteering community. Um, and the idea is that you pick people that are in no way related to the university. So it's very unlikely that the people invigilating the thing will be, you know, on the conflict of interest you know, or something. Yeah, like if they find somebody cheating, they're not going to be like, oh, that's my grandson, I'm going to... Um, yeah, that's an unlikely scenario. Uh, you certainly don't want somebody who's like, I've taught that kid before. I'm not going to like give him shit because I know what he's going through and all this stuff. Um, so the idea is that you get like these people that are neutral parties um, and you get them to sort of hang out and, and um, you know, watch, watch the exams and all this. Um, and they walk around with mobile phone detectors and all this kind of stuff. Now, uh, to translate that into an online context, um, the university is trying to find a, 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 some kind of capacity in which they can provide that service and, uh, and still you know, guarantee that exams are being taken in the right way. Uh, and so they've settled on a group called ProcterU, which is like this company that provides a, a similar service um, for online exams. And the big issue that students have noticed is that, well, one, first of all, the privacy policy of ProcterU is not very airtight. It seems as though there is the capacity for ProcterU to sell your, uh, you know, all of your data uh, when, you know, if, if there comes a time where the ProcterU is uh, dissolved as an organization, uh, and that was pretty bad. And there was also um, a, a lot of talk about the fact that the software that they want you to use is simply not secure. Uh, and when they say it's not secure, they mean that like, the software needs to, because it needs to prove that you are not use, you know, using anything that you should not be using for your exam, then it needs to be able to say um, that, uh, you know, it needs to know what's going on in your browser. It needs to know what's going on in your computer. So it looks through all the processes on your computer. It knows, it like knows what you're typing into the keyboard and like, you know, it has to have webcam access. So it knows what you're doing. Uh, has to have microphone access so it knows what you're doing uh, in the room uh, and all this kind of stuff. And also it can just see what the room is like behind you uh, and that's not cool. So for instance, if you're doing the thing in your parents' walk-in wardrobe, they might you know, start to surmise some things about what your parents are like and all this kind of stuff. So, so that was the big problems. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, so yeah, that, that is one of the issues that people have uh, had a big problem with. The university has since released an FAQ, but that was really just to say that the university has made some agreements with ProctorU that say things like, um, you know, ProctorU will throw out all this data and all that stuff. But the problem is, the way that I see it, is that when it comes down to it, this software is fundamentally insecure to the point that it asks you to like switch off your firewall. It asks you to give a, a program access to your computer that you normally would not give other programs access to. Yeah. Uh, and by doing that, even if ProctorU is a good actor, and there's no guarantee that they are, but even if ProctorU is a good actor, there is a chance that a malicious actor may be able to access your computer during so, that hour and even afterwards. So you're saying that essentially, regardless of like all the different um, like reasons that the university could give you or the like assurances that ProctorU could give you, um, yeah. fundamentally there's essentially no circumstance where you would be happy with any kind of software being able to like look at all the different processes and all the different things that are happening in your computer um, yeah. for the purpose of examinations. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so this is, well, I, I'll let Maddie answer first. Oh, no, no. no. Go on. Okay. Um, so I think, so the way that I see this is that when you talk about cybersecurity, you need to think about it in terms of risk. So it is not simply that like somebody can assure you that something is safe. It is that you have to make a judgment on whether that thing is reasonably safe. And if it is, not necessarily reasonably safe. Are you willing to risk it? Uh, and often the way that you mitigate that risk is through a lot of trust. And so that you have to have trusted organizations. That's why we have things like website certificates that say that like this person is who they say they are. Uh, it's why you have people that vouch for your credit card details and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and often you can also mitigate it by having insurance policy and all that kind of stuff. But the problem in this instance is that we don't have that trust with the organization because nobody has ever heard of ProctorU. And the other issue is that is that they have not actually given us any information as to how they are going to mitigate the risks. That is to say that you need somebody to say that you will encrypt the data at rest. There's no reasonable expectation that they will actually do that. Uh, you need to know that they won't actually use the, your data in a way that they haven't promised to use your data. So, uh, and we don't have that at the moment because you know, there's evidence that they've like stitched people's videos together in the past to like create a cheating hall of fame. It's like one of the things that they bragged the Washington Post, New York Times, one of those two, uh, about. Uh, mm. And that's that's like really concerning stuff. It seems as though they are interested in marketing their stuff to people uh, and not super interested in, in students' uh, privacy and all that kind of stuff. But then also it is the case that like at the point at which you drop your firewall and at the point at which you install an Adobe Flash program on your computer, which is something that they want you to do, uh, your computer is at risk, regardless of whether ProctorU is the thing that you are particularly worried about, or regardless of whether you are concerned that the university might breach your privacy. There is a significant risk that anybody can try to break in and, and to your computer and do this thing. Uh, and the reason that that risk exists is because there are so many more computers out there that are doing this thing so that they can use ProctorU software, which means that it makes that attack much more likely to happen. Okay, so. I've been looking online and the kind of like the uproar about this whole proxy like system has been like quite consistent across, I guess, the UQ student community. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's been, it's happened across a few universities as well. I think UCID is having issues yeah. as well. There was a, an article in Honeyswa 
about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's is, definitely not just us. As in, like, and then do you know that, like, ProctorU is, like, the preferred, like, software of choice across, like, at UCID and, like, Uni Melbourne? It is the one that's being used at UCID. Um, I think, yeah. I think ANU a, might be using a different one. There is a couple, but. there's a couple of different proctoring, like, like a couple of different big software brands that, um, that do proctoring. Um, ProctorU is definitely one of the big ones, but I think, yeah, ANU, I think maybe Melbourne, they're both using a different one. Yeah, but I think maybe my question more is to the line that, like, do you believe that the whole concept of, like, online proctoring is, like, fundamentally flawed and there is no future in people being able to take, like, exams online uh, and at home? So, yeah, I, mm, yeah, no, go on, Ron. No, you can mm. go ahead if you want. No, no. Um, well, I, I just feel like it's one of those things that maybe, we like, there's too much risk in automating. Like, um... I, I just I just feel that it's one of those things that like kind of inherently requires some kind of human like a human element or some kind of human supervision. Like I, I just feel that there's kind of too much at stake when it comes to um mm. when it yeah, when it comes to people's data like this. And especially when you're when you're starting to consider things like biometric data. Um, I just yeah. It's it's my feeling that there's just way too much at stake to allow this to become kind of a normal sort of you know supervision supervision yeah. practice i guess i probably should have explained the biometric data thing but do you want to do that no no cool. go for it oh uh, so basically as part of like the proxy thing they need to know know that you are who you are basically so they need mm. to do like this identity check they um you know you have to hold up your government uh, id uh, although i think in the uk uq case it's just your uq id yeah. Um, so they can, they basically like do some kind of facial scan of your face and then determine that you are who you are and all that. Now to answer Googie's question, I think that it, it again, it, it, it is always about risk on the first, in the first instance. Um, mm. so as long as there is the option to, instead of take the proctor you test, you take an in-person test where somebody can verify your identification in ways that are less risky people should and probably will opt for that option. However, um, yeah. where there, I think there are scenarios where that risk is outweighed by just the value to the community of being able to do this thing. So that yeah. is to say that, look, a first year IT student probably doesn't need to have a ProctorU test. However, if yeah. you are like in your final year of med uh, and it is vital that you get out into the community and be able to like do this job, there's no sense in delaying you. Uh, I think in that instance, it is reasonable to say that we need to know that you know who, what you know and that you are who you are. Uh, so we need to do this kind of test. I think there are yep. obviously ways that you can mitigate all the cybersecurity risks. Uh, but like, I think that there will probably be a need to do it for some people. Yeah. Um, just, on, just on that point about being able to opt out of the ProctorU exam and take it maybe in person later, I'm just looking at um, UQ's current response to that and they've said students who are, who are unable to sit the exam at the scheduled time may apply for a deferred examination in accordance with UQ policy the deferred exam may also be an online proctored exam so basically like even if you don't want to do this this proctor you mm. run exam you kind of you, there's there's every likelihood that you won't have a choice if your yeah. objection is on the grounds of like you know you know data safety etc so yeah they've made no kind of accommodation for people that want to opt out of it 
Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, there's, there, there's absolutely, it should be entirely fine for a student who is okay with taking an exam later to just not take the exam right now, wait till courses resume on campus uh, and take it then. I think that it's like the university is sufficiently capable of, of putting on that kind of exam. Uh, and it's pretty insane that they don't. But I think one of the interesting things from ProctorU's side of things, if you bring up the ProctorU, I'll just bring up the ProctorU um, website. Um, when they talk about integrity, right? Yeah. They talk about, so like anytime that you would want them to talk about things like the security of their data, what they actually end up talking about is things like, we're going to make it so that the academic integrity of the institution is, is, is safeguarded, right? So like at no point do they actually publicly say anything about how they keep student data safe. What they talk about is protecting the reputation of universities. And Which I is think that it's their client, right? Like yeah, it's not absolutely. students, it's academics. Yes, or administrators correct. of universities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is where this whole thing has sort of, you know, that, that, is, that is where the, the problem lies fundamentally, is that I think that the university is very well aware that risks exist here. And I think that, uh, that probably what happened was that whoever the university cybersecurity person is, was in a meeting, like in some kind of boardroom where they had to, decide on like with a bunch of academics, what is the best proctoring service that we can do this thing with, right? So it was never the case that they were gonna be like, you know what, every single online proctoring service has a cybersecurity risk and we cannot accept it. The problem, the, the problem they were trying to solve was, which one has the cybersecurity risk that we can best weigh up against the risk to our reputation as an institution? Yeah. And the problem there is, you know, on, on one hand, probably all of the all of them do have a cybersecurity risk. But on the other hand, there is like going to be so much goodwill in the community, I think, towards universities at the end of all of this, that it is very unlikely that their reputations are actually at risk. Mm. I think that like at the end of this, if somebody did cheat, right, during the COVID semester or the COVID year, it's very unlikely that an inst- that COVID year. employee... Yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that employers are going to be like, that means the University of Queensland is a fucked organisation that doesn't know how yeah. to fucking... You know, nobody cares about like academic integrity at this time. So I think that it yeah. was stupid for the university to say, like, that is the thing that we're going to protect against. By like, surely you could say that because you're like a student. But I mean, like... like okay, but, how, how do you know that no one cares about academic integrity at this time? I mean... You can see that they have been foolish in this, right? Because if you look at things like the fact that there are first year IT courses where they are literally teaching you just how to program in a very simple programming language, that they are still having an online proctor exam for that. When if you cannot code, it is very unlikely that you're going to pass all of your other courses. It's very unlikely that you're going to go into any kind of yeah, no, that's a really good programming. Point. Yeah. No one know, who like industry is like cheating on their first year of like IT is going to like go into second year in a system where they can't cheat and be like, Oh, this will be like really impactful to like how my overall like career and like capacity to be coder. Yeah. um, will turn out. I don't think I explained that well, but I think I get your 
point rather. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's un, and also IT happens to be like a, an industry where they don't really care that much about what your credentials are in the first place. And so I think that, yeah, I think that it's just like a, a silly decision from the university in that sense. Like it's, it's yeah, unlikely I, that, yeah. Yes. I just, yeah, I think it's a bit of a cop-out, like that they're trying to kind of use that as sort of their main defense, I guess, or one mm. of their main kind of reasons for like using this software is like to protect their reputation and integrity. It's like, well, really like these are highly kind of unprecedented times. And like, you know, I've already had a couple of assignments that have been switched to accommodate for these circumstances and like there's been heaps of lecturers making like just completely kind of revising their their exams to avoid having to use this software and like it's not it's mm. it's not the most unreasonable thing to be asking someone to do like i don't know it's like it's easy enough to make concessions and change things um to fit so like i just don't really understand this insistence on using this software when things can be restructured um, mm. So I can say from personal experience, I already have taken an online exam. So on Monday, I had a mid-semester exam uh, online and at home. Um, mm. The software we used was not ProctorU, but was another one called Examplify. Uh, mm. And this actually, though, was is not like an online proctoring thing. Um, it is literally just like an online exam. Um, mm. So all I did was like log in using my regular like UQ login and password. Um, it, it's like an app, it's like its own like software application, right? I can like switch mm. tabs, right? How, I think how, it's, how it was meant to be designed was that you would be able to walk into an exam hall, right? And instead of writing on a piece of paper and filling out like the multiple choice sheet there physically, um, you'd be doing it on like tablets or like the rows after rows of like laptops that they have in the examination hall. And they would still have invigilators walking up and down the lines. Um, they obviously um, didn't have enough time to figure out ProctorU um, for the mid-semester exam. So they essentially just let us um, use the same software for the mid-sem. And yeah, in all honesty, it would have actually been quite easy to cheat um, because yes, you can have your textbook right next to your computer as you're doing it. You could probably have your, I know, your dad or mum are like a specialist in like, I know you're taking like a, a medical exam. Like you could have your dad who's a doctor standing right behind you. The question comes up, what do you do in this situation? He'd just be like, ah, oh, just click this, this, this. Uh, and like, there'll be no way that they'd be able to tell that you were cheating the whole time. Um, so. Mm. Yeah, like, I think one, I think one of the other things that is like, that is a bit silly in all of this is that like people who, you know, genuinely fail exams are not smart enough to know that they're going to fail the exam. That is like, you'd probably don't actually like feel like you need to cheat if you are genuinely bad at doing the course. Right. No, like I if, think that's a big if, assumption. No, I think it's like, well, I mean like it is, it is, it is a big assumption, but I think it is also backed up by like psychological research, like the Dunning Kruger effect somewhat predicts that like people who are actually bad at a course don't have enough knowledge about the course to know that they are bad at it. Mm. Like yeah. I reckon there will be a subset of people like that. Um, I also reckon there'll be a subset of people who are like, Oh, I don't know if I'll pass or fail. I'm probably on the edge. Better keep yeah. my textbook next to me. Yeah. 
but and and one of the other things is that like if you go out into the real world and you like you are probably going to be in situations where you can do all of these things using the internet right like you can look things up and just well, like, not find every out job you right if you don't know it like i wouldn't uh, like my heart searching like, to like search yeah, up so what I, yeah, I think obviously on? things like hard surgery exists in a world where you need to have you. But when you're talking about, you know, IT courses, law courses, oh, yeah, like course. lawyers, IT, like, obviously have... Yeah, like, you don't actually know anything in software. Like the internet knows yeah. everything and you know how to find everything on the internet. Yeah. And so it is really, I think it is, it is actually a valuable t skill to have to be able to look things up on the internet. And it comes a point where like you need to accept that actually for you to be able to pass an exam, even if it is open book and you have access to all the resources in the world, you need to have enough information about that topic to even be able to look up things on that topic, right? Yeah, like, true. You can't yeah. simply work out how to program in half an hour exam by looking everything up. You have to have you know, a significant amount of information uh, stored in your head to actually be able to look these things up. Yeah, I but mean, I, I, ha I, I had an issue with that once. Like, I had an open book, um, like, criminal law exam. And, like, I, I just kind of, I didn't study that much for it, like, apart from kind of putting some notes in my textbook. Like, because we, we, we were allowed our textbooks into the exam room was the thing. Um, but I didn't really brush up on any of the concepts because I thought, oh, it's, like, it's an open book exam and I have my textbook. But at the same time, you are still time limited. So you still need to kind of know what you're doing in order to, yeah be, like you say be able to kind of know what you're looking for like you can't just like th flick through a 400 page textbook um mm -hmm. every time you need to answer a question you need to have some kind of like knowledge base yeah and they, they can definitely with. like make more exams in that format right mm. like yeah understanding that they needed to do that so like i think yeah there are solutions to this um, yeah. I just think that like, yeah, maybe the administration has like different incentives from that of students. Yeah. Uh, and like the, as my, as Rowan said before, the PropTU marketing really does reflect the priorities that they usually get from their clients, which is not necessarily privacy, not necessarily security. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I, I also think that often when they are doing these things in a way that like is small scale is probably less risky uh because well first of all people don't know about it uh you know there's not enough of a movement against it to say like oh, let's not use this thing uh but also like because so few people are using this particular software there's very little room for malicious actors to exploit it if that makes sense yeah. so like yeah if it's if, if you're not expecting a lot of people to have their firewalls switched off you're not going to be using attacks that like require people to have their firewalls switched off um, but but one of the issues is that like if everybody is giving this you know half an hour hour long video to proctor you uh then it suddenly becomes really valuable for people to go and try to break into proctor you's system right like you have all of that biometric data just sitting there you have all of this data about what people's rooms look like do you even have information about like whether or not they may have cheated and broken the academic integrity guidelines. And then that becomes like, like room for you to blackmail people, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. You um, get your like law license suspended or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, it, it just introduces all of these threats that like only really exist when people view it as a very valuable source of information. Uh, and when you have so many people using it, that's when it really becomes valuable. And so it becomes a cybersecurity risk because people are going to try to break into it now.
Okay, well, um, it looks yeah. like we're running out of time, guys. Um, so maybe yeah. like some few wrap-up questions. So what things do you think will uh, survive, I guess, the lockdown uh, into the long term in terms of university education? So do you think, can, like, all, these, all this video calling, do you think that will persist past the lockdown? I think it could, yeah. Like, especially if you're trying to schedule um, kind of meetings with um, lecturers and stuff kind of during their office hours, I feel like this sort of video conferencing is going to become a lot more sort of um, accepted. Um, so I, I feel like down the track, people will still be able to kind of use Zoom and Skype and stuff to organise meetings rather than have to go meet people in their offices face to face. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I reckon that'll survive. I think there's a good chance that in-person lectures drop off. Like just, yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's been going the way of the dodo for a while, but like there is a good chance that we acknowledge that actually probably this whole thing where somebody stands in front of a room of, full of hundreds of people and just recites the same thing that they did last year probably drops yeah. off. Yep. Uh, but also compulsory tutorial attendance. I feel like that'll kind of get relaxed a bit. And like the, this has been a problem I've had like since, since first year, like I had a friend who lives out in um in Gatton, and occasionally you'd get, you, you, she'd get um a tutorial on like a day where she had no other classes, so she'd have to make like an hour and a half commute to come into university because she'd lose credit if she didn't attend the class. So like that's that's a problem that I'm, like I'm beyond kind of COVID as well, but I, I I hope and I feel like that will, the compulsory attendance will become less of a thing. Yeah, they could just do those yeah. like online or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. It's reminded me that I had a lecture on Monday and the lecturer still does them over Zoom uh, with the expectation that like people will be like logging into Zoom and participating in like the word cloud and stuff online um, <laughs> so they can ask questions and whatnot. Um, it was right oh, before the mid-step. Uh, four people logged in for the mid oh. for, for the thing. And like I was listening to the recording yesterday and like the whole time she's like, okay, um, I, th I was going to ask the class this question, but since there's four of you, I think I'll just pass. <laughs> and then... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so. It's so sad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and the other question is, uh, do you think that online proctoring will become uh, just, will be a thing of the past or a fact of life uh, in the future? More like a thing that never happened, I think. I think that's the most <laughs> likely scenario. I actually, I do think that the uni, does, like the uni, will just like overturn it before exams happen. Um, in part because I think they're sensible enough to realize it, but also because like the union's going hard on it, the students are really fucking angry about it. I'm intending yeah. to get up at academic board next month if they haven't overturned it by then, and just be like, you know, impassioned speech on why why it should be <laughs> overturned. Um, and I think yeah. there are also enough course coordinators who are angry about it but it will get overturned because there are, there are enough course coordinators that have either A, already changed their exam requirements to mm. some other kind of assessment or, or B, just really fucking angry that the university is forcing them to do it because they disagree with it themselves and they yeah. just can't stand like central administration telling individual schools that they have to do it this way or, you know, or they're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, course coordinators don't want to punish their students. Uh, or put them at risk. And I think yeah. that those are significant issues that the uni has to deal with. And I yeah. think that the right response will be for them to just scrap the whole thing. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I disagree. 
I mm. have faith in <laughs> in the uni administration. Um, as okay, much as like, I hate it, as mu- no, as no, but like, as, no, I'm like, just, I'm as, like, as much as I hate it, like yeah. I have faith that they will probably end up winning. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I think there's there are a number of times where people go up against these things and probably end up losing. Like, yeah. I think there's just Saving so many. Goliath. Like, I think people have been very willing in the past to give up their, I guess, to give up a lot of things for not actually that much. And mm. I think this, like, I think because of the benefits of being able to. I take tests online uh, and remotely. Uh, I think a lot of people, I guess, just end up caving in, is my suspicion. I think, I think that the uni often does get what they want, but I think in this instance, they're going to reevaluate what they want because I don't think that they want to be... I don't think they want to force this on people, but they feel like they're in a position where they have to. And I think that after, you know, a couple of weeks of hearing people's like legitimate concerns, they're probably going to reevaluate. Yeah. Maybe I, I, like they're, they're certain to reevaluate whether they reevaluate yeah. against or in favor of proper you. Yeah. Like they'll definitely reevaluate. I, I think that the admin will just stay on the same course that they are at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Despite all the outcry from everyone around them. Yeah, actually well. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been good. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope that you are enjoying your quarantine, lockdown, etc. Um, and we hope that uh, by next time that we hear from us, you know, Proctor, you will have been overturned and all this kind of stuff, and that you are living in a happy dream world where everybody is able to do things and pass their courses without having their privacy potentially. <laughs> Hey, awesome. bye. Bye. Thanks. Hey, it's me from the future. Uh, I'm sorry that the news was not so good, uh, but it was awful nice to hear such optimistic people expressing their opinions on how this thing might shake out. Um, on another note, uh, I, I added some acoustic music to the start of this podcast. It's the same acoustic music I used last time. Uh, consider it a bit of theme music, I guess. Um, that music comes from a website called bensound.com. That is bensound.com or, uh, I don't know, what, what is it? Uh, beta Echo Nancy Sound.com. Um, yeah, I hope you, uh, if you enjoyed that, go look it up. Have a look. Apparently, I have to attribute it to someone. Uh, so there you go. There is the attrib- attribution. Uh, yeah, have a lovely day. Bye bye.